Thanks, Jimmy, for leading us in there. Well, if you have your Bible, please do uh, turn to Psalm 43. It'll be really helpful for you to have that open with you as we look at it together this morning. Back when I was in primary school and when I was learning to write, uh, teachers would give us these little plastic templates and all the letters of the alphabet would be on the little <coughs> templates and shapes and things like this. And we would just trace the pattern of the template and learn how to write the letter. I don't think teachers do that anymore, um, but that was how I learned to write back in primary school. Little templates that gave an outline, and when you followed the shape of the outline, then you were able to form your own writing. Prayers in Scripture are a lot like those little templates. We have lots of prayers recorded for us in the Bible. And they give us patterns of prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit from authors in varying circumstances. And they're given to guide us in forming our own prayers when we find ourselves in similar circumstances. What a gift that God has given us many prayer templates in the Bible to shape and inform our prayer lives. The book of Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible, and in it we find a kind of catalogue of templates. There are prayers of praise to guide us as we seek to articulate our praise to God. There are prayers that are templates of thanksgiving. They help shape the way we give thanks to God. There are psalms where questions are asked of God in times of confusion. For example, Psalm 13, 2. How long will you hide your face from me? This is a helpful prayer when we find ourselves in a tough place of waiting. There are laments. Prayers for when we're in a time of darkness and pain and we don't have the words to articulate our own prayer. And so we're given this gift of prayers of lament so that we're given words from the Holy Spirit to bring to God in our pain. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 that we've been looking at last week and this week they are prayers of lament from a follower of God in a hard place and in a place where he feels as if God is far away. Did you know that psalms like this expressing lament are more common than any other type of psalm in the book of Psalms? Now what does that tell us? That this experience of darkness and difficulty is very common for Christians. And that when we're in times of difficulty and we feel like God is far away, 
we need to run to him all the more and pour out our hearts to him. In verse 5 of Psalm 43, the psalmist asks himself, Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Now that is the prayer of someone who is spiritually depressed. Many of us have experienced this kind of thing. Times when our souls are downcast. You know, in some very acute moments of grief, people collapse. They just can't stand. The Psalms are saying, it's like my soul has just collapsed within me. He's troubled, anxious, and depressed. Feels like God is far, and it makes him very sad. If this is something you haven't experienced in life yet, if you live long enough, at some point you will experience this kind of heartache and grief. It's a fallen world we're in. And this prayer is here not just to sympathize with us in that condition, it's here to help us. It presents to us this very real account of someone who's spiritually depressed, but it also gives us practical and concrete things to do if we find ourselves in such a situation. This psalm meets us in this place of spiritual depression, and its goal is to help lead us out into a better place. The psalm comes to us in two main sections. First, the author recounts to us his very real experience of spiritual depression. A very real experience of spiritual depression. Then, second, we see what he does to try and find his way out of the dark cloud and into a place where he can find and feel the warmth and brightness of God's face again. He prays to God, and he preaches to himself. So that's the outline we're going to follow, following the two main sections. First, let's look at this very real experience that the psalmist recounts of spiritual depression. First, in verses 1 and 2, we learn the cause of the psalmist's <laughs> spiritual depression. The prayer begins with the psalmist crying out to God because he feels oppressed by the hard circumstances he finds himself in. Verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. The psalmist is praying that he would be delivered from this very difficult situation he's in. We don't know all the details, but we can discern from the psalm that there are people in his life who are acting in an ungodly manner towards him. 
There are people being harsh, unfair, and downright deceitful. The cause of the psalmist's issues in the psalm is it's an experience of relational stress that is bringing him down. And you've heard me say this before, life is only ever as good as the quality of your relationships. Relational stress is something we all experience at different seasons of life, and it's really hard. Think of the greatest joys in life come from usually something to do with relationship with someone, and the greatest anxieties we carry are to do with the stresses that we experience relationally. Whether it's family relationships, whether we're stressed with our spouse, or we're stressed with our children, or we have situations with family members that are just so far from where we want them to be. Or maybe it can be difficult relationships at work. I remember when I worked in Ulster Bank, at one point, I had very, well, in my perception, a difficult team leader. And it could have been me that was the problem, but I found that I could never please my team leader. And she used to sit behind a big board, and I'd be on the cashier's desk, and I would just get up, Stephen! And you knew you were in trouble. You knew you'd done something wrong. And I'd go around, and she would dress me down in front of all the other staff. And I always felt this big. And I used to think, you know, this is a great job, and it would be so much better if she wasn't there. <laughs> and and I'm, not, I'm going to be careful the way I say this, but isn't it funny how in nearly every situation at work, there's nearly always that one person, you sort of think if they weren't there, this would be a lot easier. There seems to be always that person, perhaps placed there by the Lord for our sanctification, to teach us patience and grace and whatever it is. But man, relational stress at work can be really, really hard. And I know some of you know that. It can be relational stress in church. It's really tough, isn't it? Whenever you want to be united and to be a family together, and there are things that stretch us because we all come from such different backgrounds. You know, it's relational stress that is a reality in our lives and the cause of many a sleepless night. This relational stress that the psalmist is encountering is really pulling him down. He says in verse 3 that he's, he's mourning because he feels so oppressed by it all. At the bottom end of the psalm in verse 5, he says that his soul, as we've already acknowledged, is cast down and in turmoil within him. You know that feeling, don't you? When you're churning internally with a sickness in your stomach from the anxiety of that relationship that's just... Stressing you out. <coughs> Listen to the adjectives the psalmist uses in the psalm. They give us the symptoms of spiritual depression. He has a sense of mourning. There's a sense of oppression. When something's pressing down on you and it doesn't let up. We are bodily creatures, so it can be felt physically. Tension in the neck. Pressure on the chest. There's inner turmoil. You keep thinking of the conversation or worrying about the argument or the issue. You keep saying to yourself, I need to stop thinking about this and worrying about this. And yet, a moment later, it's back like the hamster wheel flying around in your head. You know the Bible says, don't be anxious. And you cast your care on the Lord like rolling a stone onto the Lord. But it just seems to roll right back on top of you instantly. These are some of the symptoms of 
spiritual depression. And there's one more symptom that really stands out in verse 2 as the psalmist recounts this experience of spiritual depression. We could call this being spiritually conflicted. Verse 2, the psalmist says, on the one hand, you are the God in whom I take refuge. But then on the other hand, he expresses a sense of being rejected by God and he's confused about what God is doing in the midst of his darkness. Look at what else he says in verse 2. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So he says in, in one breath, Lord, you're my refuge. And then in the other, why have you rejected me? Now, some of us will know this experience well. It's the experience of being spiritually conflicted. I think it's a battle that we all face as Christians by what we know to be objectively true. The Lord is our refuge. But then what we experience subjectively or what we feel. Lord, it doesn't feel to me like you're my refuge right now. That's what the psalmist is articulating in the midst of the darkness. You're my place of strength. But Lord, I just feel like you've rejected me and I can't access the place of strength. I love the realism of this psalm. Another way to put this is, this is the experiencing of, experience of knowing God's truth in our heads, but failing, failing to really experience that truth in our hearts. I wonder, have you ever been in that place? Maybe some of you are listening to me this morning, you go, I am in that place right now. You're feeling spiritually a bit of a low ebb. Well, let's begin to progress to see what the psalmist does about this. But let's just notice that for the psalmist, the, the, the cause of his spiritual depression was relational stress. But we know lots of things can bring us into this experience. Martin Roy Jones has written a very helpful and insightful book called Just Spiritual Depression. And he's very practical as a medical doctor. And he says there are lots of things that can bring us to a place where we feel spiritually low. It can be our temperament. Some people are more prone to, to lows than others. It can be due to physical factors like stress, busyness, diet, a lack of sleep. Being in a place of grief, of course, can bring us into this place. Having health issues or mental health issues. Lloyd-Jones says there are many experiences in life that can plunge us into a place where we feel very low. But I think it's encouraging that if you're in that place this morning, or when you will be in that place in the future, you can take heart to know you're not alone in this experience. Sometimes, in the darkness, one of the most comforting things is to know you're not the only one going through this. And this psalm is here because God knows we as his people are not immune to the hardships of a fallen world. We will all pass through seasons of things that are really hard and really stressful. This psalm is here to meet us in that place, to relate to us in that place, and to help us turn to the Lord in that place. 
And that's what we see now as we move into the second part of the psalm. What do we learn from where the psalmist goes in his place of spiritual depression? Well, we learn two main things from what he does that teach us what we have to do or can do to fight in this time of spiritual darkness. First, he prays to God. And his prayer involves a few steps. First, he asks God in verse 3 to send out his light and truth. Now, why does he pray in this way? Will his circumstances and his struggles are clouding his vision so that he cannot see clearly. He's praying for illumination of the truth of who God is for him in the midst of what feels like darkness and confusion. Last night, uh, Lindsay and I and the kids went up to the 20s and 30s weekend for the evening. And I... Um, was in a bright room and I stepped out then to go home, get in the car and drive back down. And whenever we stepped outside from sort of the light room into the darkness, outside White Park Bay Youth Hostel, where they all are, it was pitch black. I mean, not a street light, not anything, like pitch black. And I sort of thought, oh, I'll just charge on into the night. And I nearly smacked into a wooden post that was sitting in front of me. <laughs> Thankfully, I stopped. And what did I do? Put on my torch. And it lit up the way, when I couldn't see what was ahead, it lit up the way, and then I could begin to see what was ahead. Well, just as our physical eyes need light to see, so the spiritual eyes of our hearts need light from God to see and know his truth. We call this the doctrine of illumination. It is the work of the Holy Spirit who floodlights God's truth so that it fills our hearts. Like a hand slipping into a lifeless glove, the Spirit enters and fills His own Word and it lives to us. That is what the psalmist is praying for. Make your Word living active to me. Remember how the Apostle Paul prayed this in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. May God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. To what end? So that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. In the darkness of difficult stressful circumstances you need light and truth illumination to see what is really true and what is really real the psalmist's prayer is a prayer for God to open the eyes of his heart that he might see God in the darkness that God would break the sky open and let the warmth of his light comfort and presence come to him But he doesn't just pray for light and truth. He prays for that light and truth to lead him somewhere. He wants the light and truth to be like practical guides who would lead him back to God. 
to the source of all real joy and peace. I've used this illustration before, but in triathlons, when you're swimming, yesterday I did a, a short triathlon, and I was swimming in Cushendall, and the sea was rising up and down and up and down, and you could not hardly see where you were going, and you got all disorientated, and again, you had to keep doing this thing I've spoken about before, sighting, you had to keep lifting your eyes up, to see, where's this boy that I'm swimming towards? And you get all disorientated, and you needed this boy to guide you, to keep you on track. Well, the psalmist is praying that light and truth would be like guides that would lead him back to God. Whenever I was um, at school in Armagh Royal, I used to get a bus home um, from Armagh to Caledon. And there was this man called Paddy on the bus, and he was blind, and he had a guide dog. And the guide dog used to sit, and I have such vivid memories of this, his dog would just sit beside him with a big harness on, and the dog would lick the floor of the bus all through the journey home. And I don't know why that sticks in my mind, but it just does. But on the harness was the dog's name. I don't remember it, but it was, it was there on the harness. And they're saying that this was uh, a guide uh, for Paddy. And I love to think of this as, you know, we've been given these two guide dogs, light and truth. And you can't see your way back to God, you find yourself get, getting disorientated, but these two guide dogs, light and truth, they will take you and bring you back to God, the source of your joy, the place you need to be when you're in the darkness. I wonder if you've ever been in a really difficult situation and you're a bit stressed because a number of people, well-meaning, are telling you what you should do. Often young parents experience this <laughs> when they're trying to figure out what to do with a baby. And maybe the mum and dad say, well, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Yes, I've tried this! And they're not sleeping. <laughs> and you get very, very stressed and you hear lots of voices. Well, you know in the darkness, when you're in the middle of tribulation and difficulty, there are lots of voices trying to speak to you. Often deceptive voices, Satan the liar, always there. In your ear, lying. God has rejected you. Don't turn to him. Maybe you're not even saved. God's punishing you. All of those lies just peppering you. Well, we don't, in those moments, we, we try not to listen to those voices, but there are also other voices trying to suggest how we get out of the darkness. Why don't we just compromise? Just give in to the sin, and you'll experience a release. There are lots of voices trying to lead us to different places when we are in the darkness of grief. Well, the psalmist here is saying, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Breaking through all the cacophony of noise. I want to be tuned into your voice. Send out your light, your truth. Let them be my guides when I can't see. And look at where he wants to be led to. He's very specific. It's almost like he goes with sort of a, a concentric circle approach. He wants light and truth to guide him slowly and steadily more and more closer to God at the center of everything. So in verse 3 he says, Let light and truth lead me to your holy hill, to the place of your dwelling. Lead me, Lord, to the place where you are, the place of your presence. Now in the Psalms in the Old Testament we know that was a reference to the temple, the place of corporate worship, which I think is instructive too, isn't it? Don't let me get isolated, Lord. Bring me to your place, and also the place where your people are. But then look at what he says. He goes in, like a next little stage of the concentric circle, next step in. Verse 4, I want to go to the altar. He says, then I will go to the altar of God. Now, why is that significant? Well, the altar was the place of sacrifice. 
It was a place in the Old Testament where a lamb could be presented as a substitute for the penitent sinner. This was where a sinner could find a way into the presence of God. And as Christians living on this side of the cross, we know that the true temple and the true altar in the Old Testament was only a shadow that leads us to the true temple and the true altar that is Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 13.10 we read, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Jesus Christ and his death on the cross is the true altar, the true place where sinners are made right with God. Jesus is the way to God. And at the altar of Calvary, we see the steadfast love of the Lord and his commitment to opening the way so that his lost children could always run home. When we pray for God's light and truth to lead us now, we are asking for God to open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to the glory of Christ's death and resurrection so that we would appreciate more fully both the person and work of Jesus Christ. Here's something the psalmist is trying to rejoice in, even in the darkness. I can go to the altar, the place where sin was paid for, the place where God's judgment is satisfied against me, the place where all wrath is removed. Here we can say, Lord, take me again to Christ in the darkness. Remind me that my sins are gone, that I've been robed in righteousness, and I can come to you, Father, the source of all joy. And that's where the psalmist goes as he speaks of where he wants light and truth to lead him. First, from the general, the temple, to the altar, the place where sacrifice is made. And now look at what he says in verse 4. He won't just go to the altar, but he'll go through the altar, right into the holy of holies, right into the presence of God himself. He says he wants to get to God. My exceeding joy. Now, you know the advert, Mr. Kipling, he makes exceedingly good cakes. It's supposed to mean that they're better than anything else. And that is what the psalmist is saying here about God. The literal Hebrew says, God is the joy of my rejoicing. So I rejoice in lots of things, but the, the crowning joy of all my joys is God himself. He's the centerpiece of all my joy. Imagine a fountain that has the word joy written on it. And the whole world are looking for what this fountain has. We run to God. He is the fountain of all true joy. So in the darkness, though you might not see it, though you might not feel it, you're praying for light and truth to get you there so you can sit under the fountain of joy. And remember, joy is not a fickle, light, just sort of superficial thing. It's a deep sort of fought for sense that though there's darkness all around me because of the altar and because of God, there is something here that I can hope in. There's something here for me to hope in. That's what the psalmist is looking for. In Psalm 16, 11, we read, In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
the psalmist is praying for light and truth to lead him to deep <coughs> joy in the God of his salvation. Like Psalm 27 verse 4, we're in another <coughs> darkness psalm. Here's what the psalmist prays. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What does he need more than anything in the darkness? A fresh vision of the beauty and majesty of God. And he knows he can't get himself there. And so he says, I'm going to come to the altar. I'm going to come to the place of suffering. I'm going to come to Christ. And as I go to Christ, I'm going to trust that I will be brought home to God. And I would encourage you, just before we look at the last section of the psalm, where he turns from prayer to God to preaching to himself, I would encourage you, take this prayer of verse 3, send out your light and your truth, and let them lead me. Take that as a prayer for you. Anytime you're in darkness, anytime you're confused, anytime you're overwhelmed, I pray this all the time. Lord, send out your light and your truth, and let them lead me closer to you. Pray that. Memorize that. Pray that then for others. This is a great prayer for evangelism. Lord, take the people of our city. Send out your light and your truth. Lead them to the altar. Lead them to Christ. Lead them to you as the joy of all their joys. Pray it for missions. The unreached peoples of the world. You don't know what to pray? Pray Psalm 43 verse 3. Send out your light and your truth to North Africa. And lead many to Christ. And lead them to you as the joy of all joys. This is a great prayer for us to take as a template to help us to pray. Well, the final thing the psalmist does now, uh, right at the end in verse 5, is he turns from praying to God to preaching to himself. And remember, this is his journey to try and fight through the darkness. He expresses the real experience of spiritual depression. He speaks of his prayer that he offers to God, and now he speaks of the way he preaches to himself. Verse 5, the psalmist moves from this prayer to preaching. The prayer was directed to God, but the preaching is directed to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In the fight against spiritual depression, I don't know any other way to say this, we have got to, to learn how to take hold of ourselves. To grab hold of ourselves. Take ourselves by the scruff of the neck in a sense. And stop being bullied by ourselves. And our internal thought process. Martin Lloyd-Jones is so helpful again in his book on spiritual depression. You may have heard this quote before, but it's worth quoting it in full. Lloyd-Jones writes... As both a pastor and a medical doctor, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Hey, take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Someone's talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment, and he's speaking of Psalm 42 and 43, his man, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, 
Listen for a moment, and I will speak to you. That's brilliant. We have got to learn to take hold of ourselves, and sometimes to tell those unruly thoughts to shut up. And say it out loud to yourself. And then we preach truth to ourselves. Now, let me just step in, hopefully, as a gentle, caring pastor here. I know in the depths of darkness, you can't just take hold of yourself. So, so please don't be berated by this in any way. There's times in the darkness where we need others to just intercede for us. But the time will come where we have to make a choice. And I remember a friend of mine who lost his wife. They were married one year and his wife died. And, and I remember a year after he spoke to me and he said, every day I have to make a choice. Am I going to choose to go to that dark place? Or am I going to choose not to? There comes a point where we've got to fight not to go back to the dark place. Where, where it's not good for us. We know it's not. We have to make a decision as best as we can to keep fighting for light and truth. And you keep fighting to come back to the, the place of corporate worship, even though you just want to stay at home. And you've you, you got to fight. You've got to fight. And that's where you need people around you as well. And so isn't it a blessing when you're in the darkness and you can't pray that there, there are passages like where, where Moses didn't have the strength to pray and Aaron and her hold up his hands to intercede. There's theological truths that are beautiful about prayer in that, but it's, there's times when you just need people to hold up your hands when you can't pray for yourself. There's, there's times where maybe you need friends to take a hold of you when you can't take hold of yourself. And initially, you might sort of reject them, but they're loving you. So, what does the psalmist preach to himself? There are two points to the sermon that he preaches to himself. Number one, hope in God. So, that's the theme his sermon to himself. It's an expression of faith in the faithfulness of God. It's the psalmist saying, so don't run elsewhere. Don't think you can fix this yourself. Don't compromise. Don't listen to the lies of Satan that would keep you from God. So hope in God. Keep trusting. Keep looking to him. Don't leave him because in him is everything you need. That's what he's preaching. He's saying to himself, look to God. He's the fountain of all joy, peace, and gladness. I think I told this to some of you recently. I was feeling quite weary at the end of June. And uh, whenever we were getting ready to go on our camping holiday, I kept, kept preaching to myself, so you know true rest does not come from inactivity. True rest comes from God. So rest in God while you're on holiday. I preached that to myself over and over again that what I needed was to press in to have a fresh experience of the Lord. That's where rest comes from. And of course it's a blessing to have a holiday and rest with your family and enjoy all the wonderful things you can do. But deep rest comes from the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is preaching to himself. Your hope is in God. Hope in God. So, And maybe you need to keep preaching that message to yourself today. But the second point in his sermon is really, really practically good and helpful. Do you know what he preaches to himself in the second part of verse 5? So, it won't always be this hard. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, 
my salvation and my God. He's looking to a day when he'll be brought out into the light. It won't always be like this, he's saying to himself. You see, deep trials come and they are deep. <coughs> but God does have a way of bringing his people out into the light. Even if he doesn't do it in this world, he will in the next. There will be a day when we will praise and weep no more. When all the heartache and all the pressure and all the stress and all the grief will all be gone. So you can say, so hope in God. For there is a day coming when all the bad will go away. Psalm 30 verse 5, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Think of the night of this present evil age. One day it will fade. Christ will come. And there will be joy in the morning. Our trials have an expiry date. That is hopeful. All of this hope is found because of Jesus' powerful defeat of death through his powerful resurrection. He went through the worst the world could throw at someone. He died our death in our place, but he defeated death, he ascended, and he will come again. And there's a lovely hymn called The Glorious Christ, and there's a line in it that I think of often, and all will be made right when he appears. All will be made right when he appears. He's the one who said, I'm the light of the world. That means I am this world's hope. I am your hope. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Like flies drawn to light, Christians are drawn continually to our true light, the Lord Jesus. So I hope this template is helpful for you today, or it will be helpful for you in the future. A prayer where we learn to recognize and not belittle the reality of the experience of spiritual depression and darkness. A prayer template that teaches us in the darkness that we should turn to God in prayer, even though we don't want to. And a, a template that teaches us that we are called to preach hope to ourselves in the darkest places. And that one day, we trust, we will be brought fully out into the light. The joy will come in the morning. I want to close with a very courageous word of hope that the prophet Micah spoke in Micah chapter 7 in a day when he was feeling guilt and darkness and shame. He prayed with real tenacity when he prayed in this way. Rejoice not over me, my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. What were the opening words of Psalm 43? Vindicate me, Lord. Deliver me. Help me. There is a day coming when the Lord will bring us all out into the light. And we shall look upon his vindication and say, he has done all things well. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for prayers like this in our Bible. We pray that you would send out your light and your truth wherever we're at this morning and just lead us closer to you. Help us to appreciate our salvation, to remember that though much can be stripped from us, we can never lose hope we have in Jesus because he has promised to hold us in his hand and he's promised that no one will be able to snatch his people out of his hand and so father we can with tenacity pray and preach hope to ourselves and just keep looking to you knowing that one day you will bring us out into the light we will experience temporary relief in this world when the pain does fade. We carry it with us, but, but Lord, the acuteness is not just always as intense. But Lord, we know that one day when Jesus comes, everything that is bad will go away. And we will be in the light, standing in the presence of the Lord with no more mourning or oppression or grief, or pain. And I just pray that for those that especially needed to hear this message this morning, that Lord, you'd strengthen, help, and uphold. And for all of us, send out light and truth, and draw us nearer to you, and give us a bigger vision of your all-sufficient grace and glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond um, with a hymn that is, the, the tone or the melody is quite sober, but it's fitting because it's a, it's a hymn that speaks about a deep hope that we have as God's people. There is a hope that burns within my heart. So let's stand together and respond, expressing our hope in the Lord.